Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. I created this podcast because I wanted to provide a quiet space for comfort for my listeners. Life can get really busy, and I want this podcast to be a soft place to land at the end of the day where you feel safe and cozy as I read you a bedtime story to help you unwind and relax as you ease into a restful night's sleep. So if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support the show so that we can continue to bring you even more sleepy bedtime stories, we've created a premium membership where you can enjoy relaxing, intro and ad-free listening, two monthly bonus episodes, as well as access to a monthly guided sleep relaxation or sleep hypnosis that you can use at bedtime to help you sleep. Go sign up at driftoff.supercast.com or see the link in the show notes. That's driftoff.supercast.com. Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. This story takes place in 1871 and is about a young girl by the name of Laura Ingalls and her family who live in a house in the woods and about the challenges and the joys of pioneer life. And so, as always, my friend, settling comfortably under the covers, take a full, comfortable breath, and as you exhale, Relax and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down into the softness of your bed. There is nothing else to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back relax, and enjoy the story. Chapter 10, Summertime Now it was summertime, and people went visiting. Sometimes, Uncle Henry or Uncle George or Grandpa came riding out of the big woods to see Pa. Ma would come to the door and ask how all the folks were, and she would say, Charles is in the clearing. Then she would cook more dinner than usual, and dinner time would be longer. Pa and Ma and the visitor would sit talking a little while before they went back to work. Sometimes, Ma let Laura and Mary go across the road and down the hill to see Mrs. Peterson. The Petersons had just moved in. Their house was new and always very neat because Mrs. Peterson had no little girls to muss it up. She was a Swede, and she let Laura and Mary look at all the pretty things she had brought from Sweden. Laces and colored embroideries and china. 
Mrs. Peterson talked Swedish to them, and they talked English to her, and they understood each other perfectly. She always gave them each a cookie when they left, and they nibbled the cookies very slowly while they walked home. Laura nibbled away exactly half of hers, and Mary nibbled exactly half of hers, and the other halves they saved for baby Carrie. Then when they got home, Carrie had two half cookies, and that was a whole cookie. This wasn't right. All they wanted to do was divide the cookies fairly with Carrie. Still, if Mary saved half her cookie while Laura ate the whole of hers, or if Laura saved half and Mary ate her whole cookie, that wouldn't be fair either. They didn't know what to do, so each saved half and gave it to baby Carrie, but they always felt that somehow that wasn't quite fair. Sometimes, a neighbor sent word that the family was coming to spend the day. Then Ma did extra cleaning and cooking, and opened the package of store sugar. And on the day set, a wagon would come driving up to the gate in the morning, and there would be strange children to play with. When Mr. and Mrs. Juliet came, they brought Eva and Clarence with them. Eva was a pretty girl with dark eyes and black curls. She played carefully and kept her dress clean and smooth. Mary liked that, but Laura liked better to play with Clarence. Clarence was red-headed and freckled and always laughing. His clothes were pretty, too. He wore a blue suit, buttoned all the way up the front with bright gilt buttons, and trimmed with braid, and he had copper-toed shoes. The strips of copper across the toes were so glittering bright that Laura wished she were a boy. Little girls didn't wear copper toes. Laura and Clarence ran and shouted and climbed trees, while Mary and Eva walked nicely together and talked. Ma and Mrs. Juliet visited and looked at a book which Mrs. Juliet had brought, and Pa and Mr. Juliet looked at the horses and the crops and smoked their pipes. Once, Aunt Lottie came to spend the day. That morning, Laura had to stand still a long time while Ma unwound her hair from the cloth strings and combed it into long curls. Mary was all ready, sitting primly on a chair, with her golden curls shining and her china-blue dress fresh and crisp. Laura liked her own red dress, but Ma pulled her hair dreadfully and it was brown instead of golden, so that no one noticed it. Everyone noticed and admired Mary's. There, Ma said at last, your hair is curled beautifully, and Lottie is coming. Run meet her, both of you, and ask her which she likes best, brown curls or golden curls. Laura and Mary ran out of the door and down the path, for Aunt Lottie was already at the gate, Aunt Lottie was a big girl, much taller than Mary. Her dress was a beautiful pink, and she was swinging a pink sunbonnet by one string. Which do you like best, Aunt Lottie? Mary asked. Brown curls or golden curls? Ma had told them to ask that, and Mary was a very good little girl who always did exactly as she was told. 
Laura waited to hear what Aunt Lottie would say, and she felt miserable. I like both kinds best, Aunt Lottie said, smiling. She took Laura and Mary by the hand, one on either side, and they danced along to the door where Ma stood. The sunshine came streaming through the windows into the house, and everything was so neat and pretty. The table was covered with a red cloth, and the cook stove was polished shining black. Through the bedroom door, Laura could see the trundle bed in its place under the big bed. The pantry door stood wide open, giving the sight and smell of goodies on the shelves, and Black Susan came purring down the stairs from the attic, where she had been taking a nap. It was all so pleasant, and Laura felt so happy and good that no one would ever have thought she could be as naughty as she was that evening. Aunt Lottie had gone, and Laura and Mary were tired and cross. They were at the woodpile, gathering a pan of chips to kindle the fire in the morning. They always hated to pick up chips, but every day they had to do it. Tonight, they hated it more than ever. Laura grabbed the biggest chip, and Mary said, I don't care. Aunt Lottie likes my hair best anyway. Golden hair is lots prettier than brown. Laura's throat swelled tight, and she could not speak. She knew golden hair was prettier than brown. She couldn't speak, so she reached out quickly and slapped Mary's face. Then she heard Pa say, Come here, Laura. She went slowly, dragging her feet. Pa was sitting just inside the door. He had seen her slap Mary. You remember, Pa said. I told you girls you must never strike each other. Laura began. But Mary said, That makes no difference, said Pa. It is what I say that you must mind. Laura sat on a chair in the corner and sobbed. When she stopped sobbing, she sulked. The only thing in the whole world to be glad about was that Mary had to fill the chip pan all by herself. At last, when it was getting dark, Pa said again, Come here, Laura. His voice was kind, and when Laura came, he took her on his knee and hugged her close. She sat in the crook of his arm, her head against his shoulder, and his long brown whiskers partly covering her eyes, and everything was all right again. She told Pa all about it, and she asked him, You don't like golden hair better than brown, do you? Pa's blue eyes shone down at her, and he said, Well, Laura, my hair is brown. She had not thought of that. Pa's hair was brown, and his whiskers were brown, and she thought brown was a lovely color. But she was still glad that Mary had to gather all the chips. In the summer evenings, Pa did not tell stories or play the fiddle. Summer days were long, and he was tired after he had worked all day in the fields. Ma was busy, too. Laura and Mary helped her weed the garden, and they helped her feed the calves and the hens. They gathered the eggs, 
and they helped make cheese. When the grass was tall and thick in the woods, and the cows were giving plenty of milk, that was the time to make cheese. Somebody must kill a calf, for cheese cannot be made without rennet, and rennet is the lining of a young calf's stomach. The calf must be very young, so that it had never eaten anything but milk. Laura was afraid that Pa must kill one of the little calves in the barn. They were so sweet. One was fawn-colored, and one was red, and their hair was so soft, and their large eyes so wondering. Laura's heart beat fast when Ma talked to Pa about making cheese. Pa would not kill either of his calves, because they were heifers and would grow into cows. He went to Grandpa's and to Uncle Henry's to talk about the cheese-making, and Uncle Henry said he would kill one of his calves. There'd be enough rennet for Aunt Polly and Grandma and Ma. So Paul went again to Uncle Henry's and came back with a piece of the little calf's stomach. It was like a piece of soft grayish-white leather, all ridged and rough on one side. When the cows were milked at night, Ma set the milk away in pans. In the morning, she skimmed off the cream to make it into butter later. Then, when the morning's milk had cooled, she mixed it with the skim milk and set it all on the stove to heat. A bit of the rennet, tied in a cloth, was soaking in warm water. When the milk was heated enough, Ma squeezed every drop of water from the rennet in the cloth, and she poured the water into the milk. She stirred it well and left it in a warm place by the stove. In a little while, it thickened into a smooth, quivery mass. With a long knife, Ma cut this mass into little squares and let it stand while the curd separated from the whey. Then she poured it all into a cloth and let the thin, yellowish whey drain out. When no more whey dripped from the cloth, Ma emptied the curd into a big pan and salted it, turning and mixing it well. Laura and Mary were always there, helping all they could. They loved to eat bits of the curd when Ma was salting it. It squeaked in their teeth. Under the cherry tree, outside the back door, Pa had put up the board to press the cheese on. He had cut two grooves the length of the board and laid the board on blocks, one end a little higher than the other. Under the lower end, stood an empty pail. Ma put her wooden cheese hoop on the board, spread a clean, wet cloth all over the inside of it, and filled it heaping full of the chunks of salted curd. She covered this with another clean, wet cloth and laid on top of it a round board cut small enough to go inside the cheese hoop. Then she lifted a heavy rock on top of the board. All day long the round board settled slowly under the weight of the rock, and Way pressed out and ran down the grooves of the board into the pail. Next morning, Ma would take out the round, pale yellow cheese as large as a milk pan. Then she made more curd and filled the cheese hoop again. Every morning she took the new cheese out of the press and trimmed it smooth 
She sewed a cloth tightly around it and rubbed the cloth all over with fresh butter. Then she put the cheese on a shelf in the pantry. Every day, she wiped every cheese carefully with a wet cloth, then rubbed it all over with fresh butter once more and laid it down on its other side. After a great many days, the cheese was ripe and there was a hard rind all over it. Then Ma wrapped each cheese in paper and laid it away on the high shelf. There was nothing more to do with it but eat it. Laura and Mary liked cheese making. They liked to eat the curd that squeaked in their teeth. And they liked to eat the edges Ma pared off the big, round, yellow cheeses to make them smooth before she sewed them up in cloth. Ma laughed at them for eating green cheese. The moon is made of green cheese, some people say, she told them. The new cheese did not look like the round moon when it came up behind the trees. But it was not green. It was yellow, like the moon. It's green, Ma said, because it isn't ripened yet. When it's cured and ripened, it won't be a green cheese. Is the moon really made of green cheese? Laura asked, and Ma laughed. I think people say that because it looks like a green cheese, she said, but appearances are deceiving. Then while she wiped all the green cheeses and rubbed them with butter, she told them about the dead, cold moon that is like a little world on which nothing grows. The first day Ma made cheese, Laura tasted the whey. She tasted it without saying anything to Ma, and when Ma turned around and saw her face, Ma laughed. That night, while she was washing the supper dishes, and Mary and Laura were wiping them, Ma told Pa that Laura had tasted the whey and didn't like it. Pa was pleased. It was all so pleasant. The doors and windows wide open to the summer evening. The dishes making little cheerful sounds together as Ma washed them and Mary and Laura wiped. After a while, he said, I'm going over to Henry's tomorrow morning, Caroline, to borrow his grubbing hoe. Those sprouts are getting waist-high around the stumps in the wheat field. A man just has to keep everlasting at it, or the woods will take back the place. Early next morning, he started to walk to Uncle Henry's. But before long, he came hurrying back, hitched the horses to the wagon, threw in his axe, the two wash tubs, the washer boiler, and all the pails and wooden buckets there were. I don't know if I'll need them all, Caroline, he said, but I'd hate to want them and not have them. Oh, what is it? What is it? Laura asked, jumping up and down with excitement. Pa's found a bee tree, Ma said. Maybe he'll bring us some honey. It was noon before Pa came driving home. Laura had been watching for him, and she ran out to the wagon as soon as it stopped by the barnyard but she could not see into it. Pa called. Caroline, if you'll come take this pail of honey, I'll go unhitch. Ma came out to the wagon, disappointed. She said, Well, Charles, even a pail of honey is something. Then she looked in the wagon and threw up her hands. Pa laughed. 
All the pails and buckets were heaping full of dripping golden honeycomb. Both tubs were piled full, and so was the washer boiler. Pa and Ma went back and forth, carrying two loaded tubs and the washer boiler and all the buckets and pails into the house. Ma heaped a plate high with the golden pieces and covered all the rest neatly with cloths. For dinner, they all had as much of the delicious honey as they could eat, and Pa told them how he found the bee tree. I didn't take my gun, he said, because I wasn't hunting, and now it's summer there, wasn't much danger of meeting trouble. Panthers and bears are so fat this time of year that they're lazy and good-natured. Well, I took a shortcut through the woods, and I nearly ran into a big bear. I came around a clump of underbush, and there he was, not as far from me as across this room. He looked around at me, and I guess he saw I didn't have a gun. Anyway, he didn't pay any more attention to me. He was standing at the foot of a big tree, and bees were buzzing all around him. They couldn't sting through his thick fur, and he kept brushing them away from his head with one paw. I stood there watching him, and he put the other paw into a hole in the tree and drew it out all dripping with honey. He licked the honey off his paw and reached in for more, but by that time I had found me a club. I wanted that honey myself. So I made a great racket, banging the club against the tree and yelling. The bear was so fat and so full of honey that he just dropped on all fours and waddled off among the trees. I chased him some distance and got him going fast, away from the bee tree, and then I came back for the wagon. Laura asked him how he got the honey away from the bees. That was easy, Pa said. I left the horses back in the woods where they wouldn't get stung, and then I chopped the tree down and split it open. Didn't the bee sting you? No, said Pa. Bees never sting me. The whole tree was hollow and filled from top to bottom with honey. The bees must have been storing honey there for years. Some of it was old and dark, but I guess I got enough good clean honey to last us a long time. Laura was sorry for the poor bees. She said, they worked so hard, and now they won't have any honey. But Pa said there was lots of honey left for the bees, and there was another large hollow tree nearby into which they could move. He said it was time they had a clean new home. They would take the old honey he had left in the old tree, make it into fresh new honey, and store it in their new house. They would save every drop of the spilled honey and put it away, and they would have plenty of honey again long before winter came. Chapter 11 Harvest Pa and Uncle Henry traded work. When the grain got ripe in the fields, Uncle Henry came to work with Pa, and Aunt Polly and all the cousins came to spend the day. 
Then Pa went to help Uncle Henry cut his grain, and Ma took Laura and Mary and Carrie to spend the day with Aunt Polly. Ma and Aunt Polly worked in the house, and all the cousins played together in the yard till dinner time. Aunt Polly's yard was a fine place to play, because the stumps were so thick. The cousins played jumping from stump to stump without ever touching the ground. Even Laura, who was the littlest, could do this easily in the places where the smallest trees had grown close together. Cousin Charlie was a big boy going on eleven years old, and he could jump from stump to stump all over the yard. The smaller stumps he could jump two at a time, and he could walk on the top rail of the fence without being afraid. Pa and Uncle Henry were out in the field, cutting the oats with cradles. A cradle was a sharp steel blade fastened to a framework of wooden slats that caught and held the stalks of grain when the blade cut them. Pa and Uncle Henry carried the cradles by their long, curved handles and swung the blades into the standing oats. When they had cut enough to make a pile, they slid the cut stalks off the slats into neat heaps on the ground. It was hard work, walking around and around the field in the hot sun, and with both hands swinging the heavy cradles into the grain and cutting it, then sliding it into the piles. After all the grain was cut, they must go over the field again. This time they would stoop over each pile, and taking up a handful of stalks in each hand, they would knot them together to make a longer strand. Then gathering up the pile of grain in their arms, they would bind it tightly around with the band they had made, and tie the band, and tuck it in the ends. After they made seven such bundles, then the bundles must be shocked. To make a shock, they stood five bundles upright, snugly together with the oat heads up. Then over these they put two more bundles, spreading out the stalks to make a little roof and shelter the five bundles from dew and rain. Every stalk of the cut grain must always be safely in the shock before dark, for lying on the dewy ground all night would spoil it. Pa and Uncle Henry were working very hard, because the air was so heavy and hot, and still they expected rain. The oats were ripe, and if they were not cut and in the shock before rain came, the crop would be lost. Then Uncle Henry's horses would be hungry all winter. At noon, Pa and Uncle Henry came to the house in a great hurry, and swallowed their dinner as quickly as they could. Uncle Henry said that Charlie must help them that afternoon. Laura looked at Pa when Uncle Henry said that. At home, Pa had said to Ma that Uncle Henry and Aunt Polly spoiled Charlie. When Pa was eleven years old, he had done a good day's work every day in the fields, driving a team. But Charlie did hardly any work at all. Now Uncle Henry said that Charlie must come to the field. He could save them a great deal of time. He could go to the spring for water 
and he could fetch them the water jug when they needed a drink. He could fetch the whetstone when the blades needed sharpening. All the children looked at Charlie. Charlie did not want to go to the field. He wanted to stay in the yard and play. But, of course, he did not say so. Pa and Uncle Henry did not rest at all. They ate in a hurry and went right back to work, and Charlie went with them. Now Mary was oldest, and she wanted to play a quiet, ladylike play. So in the afternoon, the cousins made a playhouse in the yard. The stumps were chairs and tables and stoves, and leaves were dishes, and sticks were the children. On the way home that night, Laura and Mary heard Pa tell Ma what happened in the field. Instead of helping Pa and Uncle Henry, Charlie was making all the trouble he could. He got in their way so they couldn't swing the cradles. He hid the whetstone so they had to hunt for it when the blades needed sharpening. He didn't bring the water jug till Uncle Henry shouted at him three or four times, and then he was sullen. After that, he followed them around, talking and asking questions. They were working too hard to pay any attention to him, so they told him to go away and not bother them. But they dropped their cradles and ran to him across the field when they heard him scream. The woods were all around the field, and there were snakes in the oats. When they got to Charlie, there was nothing wrong. He laughed at them. He said, I fooled you that time. Pa said if he had been Uncle Henry, he would have tanned that boy's hide for him right then and there. But Uncle Henry did not do it. So they took a drink of water and went back to work. Three times Charlie screamed, and they ran to him as fast as they could, and he laughed at them. He thought it was a good joke. And still, Uncle Henry did not tan his hide. Then, a fourth time, he screamed, louder than ever. Pa and Uncle Henry looked at him, and he was jumping up and down, screaming. They saw nothing wrong with him, and they had been fooled so many times that they went on with their work. Charlie kept on screaming, louder and shriller. Pa did not say anything, but Uncle Henry said, Let him scream. So they went on working and let him scream. He kept on jumping up and down and screaming. He did not stop. At last, Uncle Henry said, Maybe something really is wrong. They laid down their cradles and went across the field to him. And all that time, Charlie had been jumping up and down on a yellow jacket's nest. The yellow jackets lived in a nest in the ground, and Charlie stepped on it by mistake. Then all the little bees in their bright yellow jackets came swarming out with their red-hot stings, and they hurt Charlie so that he couldn't get away. He was jumping up and down, and hundreds of bees were stinging him all over. They were stinging his face and his hands and his neck and his nose. They were crawling up his pants legs and stinging and crawling down the back of his neck and stinging. 
The more he jumped and screamed, the harder they stung. Pa and Uncle Henry took him by the arms and ran him away from the yellow jacket's nest. They undressed him, and his clothes were full of yellow jackets, and their stings were swelling up all over him. They killed the bees that were stinging him, and they shook the bees out of his clothes, and then they dressed him again and sent him to the house. Laura and Mary and the cousins were playing quietly in the yard when they heard a loud, blubbering cry. Charlie came bawling into the yard, and his face was so swollen that the tears could hardly squeeze out of his eyes. His hands were puffed up, and his neck was puffed out, and his cheeks were big, hard puffs. His fingers stood out stiff and swollen. There were little, hard, white dents all over his puffed-out face and neck. Laura and Mary and the cousins stood and looked at him. Ma and Aunt Polly came running out of the house and asked him what was the matter. Charlie blubbered and bawled. Ma said it was yellow jackets. She ran to the garden and got a big pan of earth while Aunt Polly took Charlie into the house and undressed him. They made a big panful of mud and plastered him all over with it. They rolled him up in an old sheet and put him to bed. His eyes were swollen shut, and his nose was a funny shape. Ma and Aunt Polly covered his whole face with mud and tied the mud on with cloths. Only the end of his nose and his mouth showed. Aunt Polly steeped some herbs to give him for his fever. Laura and Mary and the cousins stood around for some time looking at him. It was dark that night when Pa and Uncle Henry came from the field. All the oats were in the shock, and now the rain could come and it would not do any harm. Pa could not stay to supper. He had to get home and do the milking. The cows were already waiting at home, and when cows are not milked on time, they do not give so much milk. He hitched up quickly, and they all got into the wagon. Pa was very tired, and his hands ached so that he could not drive very well, but the horses knew the way home. Ma sat beside him with baby Carrie, and Laura and Mary sat on the board behind them. Then they heard Pa tell about what Charlie had done. Laura and Mary were horrified. They were often naughty themselves, but they had never imagined that anyone could be as naughty as Charlie had been. He hadn't worked to help save the oats. He hadn't minded his father quickly when his father spoke to him. He had bothered Pa and Uncle Henry when they were hard at work. Then Pa told about the yellow jacket's nest, and he said, It served the little liar right. After she was in the trundle bed that night, Laura lay and listened to the rain drumming on the roof and strewing from the eaves, and she thought about what Pa had said. She thought about what the yellow jackets had done to Charlie. She thought it served Charlie right, too. It served him right because he had been so monstrously naughty, and the bees had a right to sting him when he jumped on their home. 
But she didn't understand why Pa had called him a little liar. She didn't understand how Charlie could be a liar when he had not said a word.